Welcome to the Sun Island. Welcome, welcome. Uh, another episode of uh, Energy Bridge with Sun Island Energy. I am elated. We get to have um, get some expertise in here today, speaking with uh, Dalen Walters, and uh, he's on the uh, the Fitzpatrick Group. So we're gonna be basically talking a lot about just uh, financial type stuff, financial planning, uh, and such the like. You know, so. <laughs> Uh, Dalen, nice to have you on, man. So let's just talk real quick uh, about how we met, right? Yeah. We met through a group. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit more about that? Uh, networking in Action. Uh-huh. Cool. Yeah. And how did you get a hold of that group, Networking Action? Um, I mean, I needed to build my network uh-huh. in the financial services industry, and it's always power to, powerful to have a referral network. Yeah. So Networking in action is like a chair exclusive. Yeah. So there's only one industry like per person mm-hmm. in the group. So like you in energy, there would mm-hmm. only be one person doing that. There's only one person in financial services, services, one real estate agent, so on and so on. Yeah. And the point is to just progress your professional career by with like-minded individuals that want to grow their business. Yeah. So you find uh, people with a drive and that also want to help others. The the idea is kind of like you give and then you'll, re- you'll, you'll receive. Get, you receive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like that idea. That's the reason why I reached out um, as well, because it, it makes sense to when you're building a business to have folks who are like-minded mm-hmm. in many regards that's going to help you get to the next level. Okay, mm-hmm. so yeah, so you're a Houstonian native. You've yeah. always lived. Oh. I was uh, I was born here. Uh huh. Yeah. Nice. So born in Houston. Give me a little bit about your story, man, real quick. Just a quick synopsis. Born in Houston. Yeah, born in Houston. So the joke in my family though is that no one was born in the same country. So my dad is oh, from really? Germany. Interesting. My mom is a Palestinian from Israel, mm-hmm. and then my brother was born in Canada. And then, yeah, and then they were actually house hunting when oh they uh, moved God. here. And I was born here so while they were... Four uh, member in the yeah. nucleus uh, <laughs> family and nobody was born in the same country. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty, uh, pretty neat, man. And just growing up in Houston, this side of town? This side of town? Yeah, I grew up basically um, more west, like so towards Katy. Katy. And oh, nice, nice. So you've seen a lot of transition, though, as a kid growing up, because, I mean, I've barely been here now. I wouldn't say, be- well, yeah, still, like, uh, 11, 12 years, mm-hmm. and there's so much growth, especially out there in Katy. It's Oh, yeah, it's, it really changed also when they started building apartments out there. That's whenever it just, mm. like urban sprawl almost. It just kind of... Yeah, ex- the population exploded. It's kind of exploded. So... When you're coming up, when did you get into motorcycles, man? Cause motorcycles? Yeah. Um, uh, when I was 18. 18? So, yeah, I just always had the itch. Do you fix them or you just ride them? Yeah, everything. Yeah, to me, honestly, like, 
as a motorcycle rider, I feel like you have to be able to do the basic maintenance because it's kind of a safety thing. In <laughs> oh, my opinion. yeah. A, you have a chain or a belt, you have your brakes, your mm. shocks and everything. And it's one thing to in a car, you know, you to drop it off. If it breaks on the road, you just pull over. Correct. Yeah. But you don't want something to happen to you on a motorcycle. Yeah. So it's good to be knowledge. I mean, I'm not saying you have to be a master mechanic, but yeah. it's good to know how your clutch works and all that type of stuff. So if something does go wrong, you're mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, I can you know, remedy yeah. this. The most I know about motorcycle, man, it's not even motorcycle, it's them ATVs. Mm -hmm. You get it and go broom, bro. Like, <laughs> well, those I, are, I'm not those even going to pretend yeah. that I know. But I, I, I own one of those, though. Mm -hmm. And I, I, we went to Surfside down here mm -hmm. and I act a fool on the sand. Yeah. I was cartwheeling around. Yeah, I was cartwheeling around my, uh, my truck. <laughs> Park my, my truck. And at night, lights mm -hmm. on and just going round and round, man. It was, it was pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, um, so are you like a daredevil then? Um, if I get a motorcycle, yeah, man, sometimes. But, my wife uh, would kill me, dude. Definitely calm down in <laughs> these years now. Because I started when I was 18. I'm 27 now. Okay, cool. So. Man, uh, you got some good genes, man. I, I, you said 18. I wouldn't put you. I was going to put you about 23 now. <laughs> wow. I was like that. So you got a lot of experience messing with motorcycle then. Yeah, I mean, I've put cool. um, across multiple bikes, like multiple hundreds of thousands of miles on them. So I, a, I, I like riding. I met sure. a guy, um, and he does that uh, for a living. Mm -hmm. He's really good at it. He's like gets bike and deck them out, mm -hmm. like the the with some really cool design stuff like that. Yeah. You know? So. So you're expert. Oh, you got into cars. Uh, yeah. Like you had like uh, where you kind of buy them at the auction and sell yeah. What so was that experience like? Uh, yeah. Before, I, before we go into that, let's talk about your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, because that that, that's and definitely a part of the yeah, entrepreneurial Let's talk about your adventure. entrepreneurial journey uh, up to that point, and then we kind of dig a little bit more in more uh, uh, your expertise currently, mm -hmm. which is uh, you know financial services, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, just what's your you know, entrepreneurial journey has been like so far? Yeah, I mean, always had the entrepreneurial spirit since I was young. Mm. Um, I've always been really into computers, so okay. like gaming computers, systems, servers, stuff like that. Um, when I was in high school, I started my first uh, venture, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I built uh, gaming computers and servers oh, nice. for people and companies. Mm -hmm. And I did that for some years into to, into college. Oh, nice. Um, and then U of H, right? Yeah, U so of H. I said we were uh, college neighbors, yeah. uh, university neighbors, because I'm TSU. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go, keep going. Yeah. Uh -huh. So I did that for some time. Uh, really liked it, uh, but it's really more of like a hobby mm. for me. So I just, I kind of just put that aside. And I started when I started college. Um, I started working at an auto shop mm. that they specialized in BMW, Porsche, Mercedes. So okay. that's really where I learned my know-how with cars on how to rebuild engines and stuff okay. like that okay. so specifically german cars and mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. my dad being german yes, you know, yes, i love yes. bmw gotcha, and mercedes gotcha. and stuff like uh -huh. that yeah the i've always worked on them german engineering huh? german engineering you know <laughs> can't beat it, <laughs> beat it. Yep. Uh -huh. uh, so i worked there for for some years and then about my sophomore year of college i met a guy that wanted to do a computer startup in India, actually. Mm, interesting. So I went to India for a semester. Oh, 
oh, or to do uh, while you were in uni while you were uh, in school? well i took time off from university okay that's what's um, up so I oh wanted, you were itching dude yeah. like you get a chance you're gone yeah <laughs> okay i wasn't uh, i wasn't honestly i wasn't sure what major i wanted to do at the oh, time oh yeah so i wanted to do the entrepreneurship uh, program at uh but it like they only accept like 20 people a year so I was kind of debating like what I really wanted to major in, and then that opportunity arose. Well, you can't just glaze over. You went to India for a whole year. Yeah, right? I yeah, need to, yeah. <laughs> well, six months. But six yeah, months, yeah, right. but yeah, that's <laughs> like a lot a, of time. A semester. So it so, was. Go ahead. It was uh, related to just computer systems computer and systems. infrastructure, kind of like um, utilizing some warehouses and stuff to build mm -hmm, computer mm -hmm. systems in India. Mm -hmm. uh, it. It didn't work out, <laughs> but uh, you know you, you learn is, a, you learn a lot in another country and, mm -hmm. and doing that. Um, so, you know, you, was that the first time you left the country when you went to no, India? No, I've you been, been all been over. Going, oh, yeah. you've traveled around. Yeah, so you've, you've been to Germany then. I've been, been to Germany. You've been, been to, to Israel. Israel. Been okay. to um, been to Egypt. Oh. All throughout, I've been to Jamaica. Oh, you've been to Jamaica. Yeah, been How to was Jamaica. that? It was fun. I'm still going back yeah. to India, though, but I yeah. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. Oh, did yeah. you went like, on like a cruise? Yeah, or? it was on a cruise. My okay. dad loves scuba diving. So when I was younger, we would go on cruises because it was the most efficient way I to go to like, you get your adventure the, side the different from. places. Your dad is like yeah. that, huh? Yeah, my dad is a he's an engineer, but ah. his hobbies are scuba diving and flying. Me so, oh, flying. Yeah, oh, that's nice. I, I went scuba diving once mm -hmm. in Mexico. It was breathtaking, man. I, mm. It was the first time I was doing it. So the, I had the beard at the time, and I wasn't used to it, obviously, because it's the first time. So I was having a little bit of trouble with water keep getting in, because, you know, you got to have, have a tight have a tight seal. Mm -hmm. And But I took some water in, <laughs> and because they put us in a shallow to, to practice, right? Mm -hmm. I took some water in, and I had to make a decision. Um, I might drone or I might have a lot of fun. And then I just paid a little bit more attention and breathe properly uh, the way you're supposed to. Mm -hmm. And then I, I went deep. I went like 40, uh, 40 foot. Mm -hmm. I, that's probably not deep for you. <laughs> but it was fun. I saw a sea snake. Mm -hmm. I saw like uh, those flying fish looking mm -hmm. thing. And just, the rays. Yeah, the rays. It, it was beautiful, man. So just, you know, you've traveled and everything. Was that time when you went to India, you traveled by yourself? Yeah, I was by myself. By yourself. Yeah. How was that experience? Uh, it was definitely different being in a foreign country by myself, mm. um, especially in like a startup scenario. Because so mm. it, it wasn't really like a vacation thing, whereas a lot of the other places, you know, it's with family or friends and Got it's you. for fun. So that, that was really just like, business. I'm going to get rich. What's yeah. the startup? <laughs> You're going to yeah. blow it up. <laughs> it's, it's very, very different in India being from America. Like you're definitely viewed a certain type of way in the mm. business world. Got you. Um, I mean, I wouldn't trade the experience for anything. That's really neat. So That's learned really a lot neat. about just as kind a, of as a youngster trying to figure it out. You just went. You've you've always mm -hmm. trying to find what's gonna work the best. Yeah, and that was uh, a really neat experience. So where where did you where did you what was your next step from there after India? Yeah. So after that uh, venture, I came back here and I was like, well, I want to finish my my college degree, of yeah. course. I'm not going to leave that on the table. 
And based off of the credits that I had, I decided to double major in accounting and finance. Okay, cool means. So I did that because um, I, re I really like numbers. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I, I always um, believed that in accounting because mm -hmm. it's kind of like that's the fundamental of every business. Absolutely, yeah. So I like things that can be universally applied as well. Absolutely. And so as a as an accounting major, whenever, especially as it relates to financial services, mm -hmm. I feel like that differentiates me than, than a lot of other people because whenever they show me the books, I'm actually able to understand uh, yeah. all of that Like when a business stuff. owner yeah. or a homeowner, and uh, from, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk more. From that lot, perspective. From that perspective, that's pretty neat. Uh, so your, your dad is a direct uh, immigrant from Germany. Yeah, so I would be a first generation. First generation. Yeah, because I'll it's a it's a recurring theme on my podcast. I always say immigrants get the job done, and you know that's that's the truth. Uh, how was it like, man, being raised by a first being a first generation uh, um, by immigrants raised by immigrants? I mean, how was that experience like? Uh, I mean, whenever people looked at me, it's not like, I mean, they just thought I was from here. Mm -hmm. So I never really felt that type of uh, uh, presence, you, I guess, because people yeah. think, oh, you're just, you <laughs> might, you're from here, your gotcha, family gotcha. is from here, uh, uh, the, that type uh, of stuff. Okay. It, it's not really until I tell people the background that they're like, oh, really? Like, oh, really? Okay, you know. gotcha, gotcha. But it must be some things that's just innate. In your parents that yeah. day that well, you I mean, saw growing up, like just like the food the and the work yeah. ethic. What was definitely. that like? What was um, that like? Well, yeah. So both my parents uh, came from nothing. Mm. So you know my my dad's. Um, so my grandfather passed away when my dad was young, mm -hmm. and my grandma moved uh, them to Canada. Mm. And so he was kind of like the breadwinner for the family. Like he worked in construction mm -hmm. back then to pay all the bills and put himself through uh, university and uh, got, uh, they both, both my parents are engineers. Okay, cool. And my mom. Well, that's where you got the love of numbers. From. Yeah, oh, that's, that's definitely where it came from. And uh, kind of similar with my mom that they were very poor and they moved to Canada for opportunity really. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she just uh, from day one always worked very hard. Also, put herself through school. They they both met at the University of Alberta oh, in Canada. Up. So that's how they met, yeah. uh, being from very different parts of the world. Um, and yeah, they so they instilled that in me. They're, like, there's no handouts. You know, like like sure we'll help you when that's you need help, but you need to yeah you gotta you. get it yourself and. Um, typically, the countries that we're coming from, assistance in any way, shape, or form does not exist yeah. for the most part. So when you come here and hear that's even a thing, you're like, what? I think <laughs> even just the, the opportunity alone, like some people that come from other countries, yeah. they look around and they see the potential that you can do here. Yeah. Also, like just starting a business here is so much easier, especially here in Texas than oh, a yeah, lot of Texas. other places. So they see that and it, they really go after it because I th it's a perspective thing. So when you come from a place where it's so difficult mm. and then you're here and it's a lot easier, substantially easier to do the same thing that you want or like your dream, mm, I guess, per yeah. se, they really get at it. Get Whereas it. people that are from here, they don't have that perspective because they they see it. That that's all they've seen their entire life. It's a perspective thing. What do you think would help some people who don't have that perspective to figure out how to get it? Um, Just from your opinion. I, I mean, traveling is a, a big part of it. And traveling with kind of like an open mind. 
Huh. So just you looking traveling with an open mind. What do you yeah. mean? Like really embracing other people's lifestyles mm. when you're there. Okay. Don't go there kind of like, oh, I'm this way, so I expect people to do things my way. Go to places and do it their way. Mm. And I feel like you'll learn a lot more that way because you really know how they live. It's very different than here in America, and yeah. it will really change your mind and change your outlook on how you do things, I think. That, that's profound, man. That, that makes a lot of sense. Travel with more of an open mind because then... Um, the, in college, because uh, I, I went to, I, before I came here, I was in Oregon and I did a liberal arts degree for my junior college. Mm -hmm. So we learn about a lot of different things about culture. You know, it's a liberal arts school, so that's mm -hmm. kind of like what they teach about, you know what I mean? And there was a, either it was a philosophy class or something like that. They were explaining um, about, you know, when people used to travel to different countries or whatnot and one uh, country or a civilization settled another and it was like they I think it was English went to another country and the English guy was like the the other the way they blew their snot right mm -hmm. in the country that he went he just it's out on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> you sort of it and the English guy was like, man, that is gross. <laughs> Why are you doing that? And then the other guy from the other culture saw the English guy blew his nose and he blew it in a handkerchief and stuffed it in his pocket. And the guy was like, that's disgusting. <laughs> You're keeping would, it with you. <laughs> Why would you keep that gross, disgusting bodily <laughs> fluid on you all day long? Yeah. So as you said, it's 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 legit perspective, right? Mm -hmm. And and that that's pretty neat, man. I I myself, um, I've not been to a ton of countries, you know. I've been to Canada, uh, Trinidad, and but I've in the U.S. I've lived uh, in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Lived on the East Coast. I've lived on the West Coast, mm -hmm. and I live now. I live in the South, right? Mm -hmm. And just because the U.S. is like a lot of countries in one, depending on where you are, just mm -hmm. culturally, from my experience. And what that taught me was like people are just living to make the best life that they can, you know. And just like you said, you have to just observe it from where you are the perspective and you'll just say it, it's it's a beautiful thing experiencing different cultures so yeah. uh you approaching it with an open mind that's that's excellent it'll definitely um help with people's sense of empathy i think too and mm -hmm. being able to feel for other people's circumstances and situations because you'll yeah. be able to understand and empathy where people are coming from yeah empathy um is a important topic in in the world of entrepreneur being mm -hmm. an entrepreneur right um, what's your take on you being an entrepreneur to just use that concept of empathy with the folks that you're actually helping because you're helping them with their life, really. Yeah. You're helping them with their money, with their finances. I mean, yeah, really... Yeah. approach it from that standpoint. Yeah, I mean, just uh, viewing it from their perspective and like the figure of speech says, like walk a mile in their shoes. Mm. You really got to get to know someone, build a relationship with them, um, so you understand what their goals are financially. If you yeah. if you if you don't do that, you're kind of just a salesperson coming yeah. to the table with a mutual fund, 
um, saying I can make you money, you should give me some money, yeah. but you don't n understand like what that person's goals are or that if they want to start a business, mm -hmm. or how you can really efficiently help them yeah. um, with their life. And I feel like that's kind of the sense of empathy, like where you got to view it from their perspective. Mm -hmm. Not everybody just wants a million dollars. Some people have different goals. And so yeah. my job is to just get you to where you want to be. Yeah. Uh, and the, find the path of least resistance for what you want to do. Make it as easy as possible, right? Yeah. For them, mm -hmm. essentially. So what are some of the... Okay, you're going to help somebody, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, keeping along the lines of empathy. That must help you significantly, the way you view it, and just naturally is like that open-minded and really have genuine empathy. That must help you get and retain client right because it's see, people people don't trust people with their money it's just I, a lot i of mean time. yeah that's probably the thing that people <laughs> hold closest to their chest and yeah. i feel like just being genuine and who you are i feel like that that goes the longest way with people just mm. caring about them whether that's just get grabbing lunch with them like hey man we haven't talked in a couple months let's grab lunch or let's grab a drink after work and just yeah. not having an agenda of something you want to talk to them about but just yeah you know, caring about that person, I feel like that really goes the longest way in financial services. I yeah. think that's also somewhere where a lot of people, you know, they don't really think about it like that. Okay. Because they're just trying to acquire clients, acquire clients, acquire clients, mm -hmm. and they don't kind of stop also to go back kind of to my previous point, just to figure out, like, what do you actually want to do? Yeah. You know. What, what's their long-term goals, yeah, short your, and long-term yeah, goals. What's your short and long-term goals? The richest Jamaican in history, his name is uh, Michael Leachin. Mm -hmm. That's that's how he made his money, I essentially. And he went to Canada, mm -hmm. like a billionaire. And uh, he did it through financial service. And you have this big thing about other people's money, um, you know, investing, mm -hmm. stuff like that. So... You have a business owner, you have a homeowner or whoever that's looking for uh, financial uh, planning or financial liter literacy or mm -hmm. whatever you, you may be able to help them with. What are some of the questions you're asking them to even know whether or not you would be able to help them with your services? Yeah, for sure. Just... Um their career path yeah. is a big thing. Like, mm -hmm. do you plan on starting a business? If you have a business, do you plan on selling it in the future? Mm. Uh, you mentioned it. Like, do you plan on buying a house in the future? Um, just figuring out those those goals is really key. Um, just just by asking them questions, and then once you kind of figure out where their goal is and what may or may not be beneficial to them, just broad stroke, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, in general, what are some of the the services that you would provide or you know of that, say, a person who is making, I don't know, just try the average income is, what, 50000 a year or something mm -hmm. like that? The average income, they are planning. I'm just, I'm just, just as a made-up scenario, mm -hmm. right? They are, they're in their, say, mid-20s mm -hmm. or early 20s probably just got married, uh, there are no kids yet, and they're looking to probably purchase a home in the next you know, three three years or so. Yeah. They both, and this, again, you're just making up a scenario, right? Yeah, but no, that's, that's yeah. great. Um, they both 
um, are college grads. Okay. Recently got the entry level job, <laughs> right? And they want to set up their future. Yeah. What What are your advice to that family? Yeah, that's a, a scenario. The young college graduate just married. Uh, we call it income potential. So throughout the, the, the course of their career, so let's just say they're 25, mm -hmm. they want to retire at 65, let's just okay. say. You know, they want to work for 40 years. Mm -hmm. They just got out of college. Their first job, they're earning that $50,000 a year. Mm -hmm. It's safe to assume that uh, you're going to earn more money over the course of your career through ambition, mm -hmm. industry. So, you know, just wanting to do better for yourself, Most I'd say most people do. Mm -hmm. Uh, industry, so you know, if you're in oil and gas or electronics, or you can earn a lot more money. There's a lot more potential there just by what you're doing, mm -hmm. and then also like through marriage, is actually income potential because mm -hmm. there's tax uh, breaks, things mm -hmm. like that, um, or you know, marrying into someone that's you know more money. It's, it's a possibility. Uh, so we gotta we gotta kind of think about that from a like a financial planning perspective. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to earn more money in the future... And that is your expertise, right? Yeah. Financial planning, so keep, yeah. keep going. Mm -hmm. um, so granted that we're going to earn more money in the future, I always ask people a simple question. Do you think income taxes are going to be higher or lower in the future? Okay, and they're always going to say higher, right? Most people, I mean, everyone I've talked to, they always say, yeah, I think income taxes are going to be higher. Yeah, everything and uh, I'll just uh, also, side note, just, you know, we're how many trillions in debt. It's very unlikely that income taxes are going to go down just mm -hmm. because the government raises revenue via taxes and, yeah. and that way. Um, so kind of the perspective is we don't ever want to defer our income. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is traditional financial planning, a lot of it is uh, max out these uh, deferred uh, accounts IRA, such as like IRA and 401k Understood. and based off the premise that we just talked about that hey if we're going to be earning more money in the future mm -hmm. also when you take into account inflation is it really likely which is at like six and a half percent right now it's very high it's very ridiculous. Um, it's very unlikely that you're ever going to be in a lower tax bracket than you are today highly unlikely and it's highly unlikely that income taxes are ever going to be lower than they are today mm -hmm. so we don't want to defer our income to a time when you're going to be making more money and income taxes are going to be higher. Mm -hmm. But that's traditional financial planning. Max out your 401k, max out your IRA. So I take a, a different perspective mm -hmm. that we really we want to pay our income taxes now and put it into some sort of thing that's tax-free or tax-exempt. Mm -hmm. So that way, when we pull it out later, we're not really beholden to the IRS. Got you. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to worry about income taxes being higher or lower in the future because the account that we put it in when we take the money out is tax-free. So, I mean, a big, uh, I'm a big proponent of Roth. Okay. That's, um, that's generally a good uh, yeah. choice. You know, I can't say definitive compliance, but in, in general, we want to we wanna consider these types of things as we're planning because... But don't those max out to a certain amount every year? Like yes. Only can so what's the amount that... There's 6,500 okay. for the Roth IRA. Um, now, you can have a Roth 401k. That's if your company offers it. Hmm. But you can also do backdoor Roth conversions where mm -hmm. you put the money in your, in your IRA. Mm -hmm. And then you can convert it to Roth, 
you don't have to pay the penalty, you just pay the income taxes. Gotcha. So you convert it to a Roth, and then all the growth is tax-free. Mm. So when you take that money out later on, you're not uh, penalized by basically being in bed with the IRS so, later on. So just using Roth, you have three options where you can just a straight Roth so, yeah. do your work. Because you can take out your own personal Roth. You can and have a personal have Roth IRA. Job, right? and you can have a Roth 401k if your company offers it. If your company offers And you can do that backdoor one. That and then you, you can do the backdoor Roth. Oh, wow. So you can... And that would be for people that are, are above the income cap. Mm. So there is an income cap around 120, 130,000 where the government says you earn too much. Is that individual or, or individual. household? Individual. Individual. Um, where they, they don't let you contribute to the the Roth mm -hmm. IRA anymore. So that's mm -hmm. when backdoor Roth becomes a thing. So that's um, one thing that you, you, what are other avenues that you try to help people with? The Roth is a great one. Mm -hmm. Roth is a really good one. Um, I mean, there's, I, I, uh, I mean, I ride motorcycles. So mm -hmm. uh, there's a big part of financial planning where I feel like a lot of people get lost is rate of return, rate of return. Okay. But uh, there's also a defensive part of financial planning. Okay which is, uh, you know, the insurances, stuff like that. We want to make sure that you're protected. You know, if, if, you're, um, if you're a husband and you're the breadwinner of the family and you have a $300,000 mortgage, you want to put the kiddos through college, stuff like that, you know, you really should have some sort of life insurance in place that yeah. if, God forbid, the unthinkable happens, yeah. you know, the house is paid off, the kids go to college, your, your wife has income replacement for the rest of her life, things like that. And I feel like that's overshadowed a lot um, because people, you know, they want their money to work for them. Mm -hmm. And to them, that's just viewed as an expense. Mm. Um, even though I'm 27, I've, I've had a real close buddy of mine pass away with nothing like that, nothing left for his son. Yeah. And it, I mean, I tell you, man, it's completely heartbreaking. Life just and changed it's, in it's, an instant. It's a, it's, to me, it's just a necessity. It, I, I it feel is. like that's the defensive part of financial planning. Yeah, and the way you said it, I've, I, you know, I, you know, I uh, educate myself. You know, read through books. You know, I, I read um, a lot of like just Tony Robbins material. I, I, you know, stay in touch. Just, you know, because you got to educate yourself on these type of things. And I've never heard or even read it where somebody said, oh, this is the defensive versus offensive. Mm -hmm. So the insurance side is what you consider more the defensive side, yeah, right? Yeah, defensive side. We want, um, we want our money working in, in multiple places at mm. the same time, but we also want our money to be as much as we can in the, the tax-free, tax-exempt part of the, the tax code. So insurances also play into that, in that um, cash value insurances mm -hmm. are tax exempt in the, in, within the tax code. So I'm, I'm personally a big fan of, they call it whole life insurance. Uh -huh. It's slow and steady, wins the race. It's mm. nothing that fancy, mm. but all the distributions out of it are tax exempt. Some people say they go for term. Why, why some people just push term term and invest the difference yeah yeah what well, yeah that's you want to talk about that a little bit so the the idea is um i mean the slogan kind of at our company is we want to eliminate or greatly reduce compliance as much as possible the taxes associated with your money the fees and the volatility okay. you know people like taxes, warren buffett fees, taxes fees and volatility that's really the name of the game mm -hmm. 
Um, whenever, whenever I was in college and you'd asked me, I definitely would have told you that too. Like buy some cheap insurance or no insurance, whatever. We want to make money, put all your money in the stock market. Mm -hmm. Let's make a million bucks. Mm -hmm. But there's really a lot more to it than that. And also whenever you do that type of strategy, you're really exposing yourself to the maximum amount of volatility. Okay. And people like Warren Buffett, uh, you know, he says avoid volatility at all costs. Correct, and yeah. a lot of people revere him as a pretty smart guy when it relates to stocks. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he says um, you want to buy stock and hold it long. Mm -hmm. And uh, him and Munger, his yeah. yeah. And a lot of people are also into real estate. Mm -hmm. And um, and then you've also heard of stuff like, hey, the these really wealthy people they don't really pay a lot in taxes. Why is that? So they're not doing ma what mainstream finance is. So they're putting their money into something like the whole life insurance. There's something called the concept of infinite banking. Okay. It's basically like utilizing these cash value life insurances as your own bank. Mm. The money that you take out is considered a loan, not a realization of capital. That's okay. why it's tax exempt in the tax code. Okay. So it's really like you're borrowing money against your dead self. So you're utilizing the death benefit in the insurance policy. Yeah. So let's say you take out a hundred grand. If something were to happen to you, that's subtracted that the from borrow, invest, die strategy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, you're leveraging that death yeah. benefit. Uh -huh. um, but really where it comes into play is this, we only use mutually held companies. Mm. Um, and that's a big part of it. So these mutually held companies pay a dividend to the policy owners and not the shareholders. Okay. And so it's really slow and steady wins the race. You're not going to get rich overnight doing this. But what it allows us to do is kind of put our money in two places. So we want the stock market because that's where we're going to get the best rate of return by far. Mm -hmm. Love the stock market Both for that. 7% every year. The average. Now, if we put our money into something that's slow and steady wins the race, now we the stock market looks something like this, right? So, but yeah, but constantly going up. It's though, constantly even, yeah. going up. Mm -hmm. But the math isn't, like you said, it averages 7% a year. Mm -hmm. So the math of 7% a year, if you do, if I plug it into my financial calculator, that's not the same as 777, you know, minus 10, which the stock market does. Gotcha, gotcha. So it averages 7, but that's nowhere near 7% um, flat rate of return. Every, and yeah. the financial industry is really bad about utilizing flat rates of return when they show people things. So they'll mm. show them, hey, this mutual fund averages 9%. And then they'll say, if you invest $10,000 a year at 9%, you'll have your 500,000. But we have to understand the sequence of returns. Okay. So if you're getting 10 every year, there's bound to be a minus 20 in there somewhere, right? Yeah. 2021 is gonna happen. At least once every 10 years. Yeah, 08's gonna happen. It, we can agree. We don't know when, but it will happen. So but historically, there's some type of uh, seven years is the kind of the golden rule. Seven to eight years is mm -hmm. what they say. There's a market correction about some around there. Mm -hmm. um, so really, the strategy is that we want to put something that isn't affected by the stock market. Mm. So when the volatility happens, that minus 20 percent happens. Now we can take money from this asset that never goes down. So sure, it's not, it's not going to make you rich quick. Yeah. But what it allows you to do is that when the market does that minus 20, now you have capital that you can go and purchase the market in the best time possible, which is buy low, sell high. One of that is on the way right now. Mm -hmm. 
So who are in the best position now, from your opinion? Because it's coming. Like, the, you know, I mean, the people with the people with capital are always in the best position. Yeah, and what are some of the way that you suggest that people who've been doing it right over the last five, ten years or whatever, what what are they doing to make sure that they have that capital? What do you think they were doing over the last? Because you know, in the next year or so. Um, like case studies on, you know, the big people like Elon Musk, mm -hmm. Donald Trump, stuff like that. That's mm -hmm. what they're doing with their money. Mm -hmm. They're putting it into there because it's kind of like you're you're earning a good rate of return because it's compound. It's actual compound interest. Mm -hmm. There's no negatives, and it's tax exempt. So when you compare it to something in the stock market or a four hundred one k, is this like in a whole, like whole in a whole life? life? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. So when you compare it to something in another asset, you have to make it the taxable equivalent. Mm. So if I'm ta if I'm getting five percent over here, even though I'm getting eight percent over here, mm -hmm. there's taxes involved. Gotcha. So we gotta, you know, make the figure out what's the taxable equivalent yield. Mm. Mm -hmm. So you gotta really compare it apples to apples. Gotcha. Um, and so yeah, so the the so that's the defensive side of things yeah. you know just get get a some type of whole life insurance and a lot of these insurance go ahead i mean there's not really a i can't say definitively like you should do that i'd have to get to know the person there's a time and a place for everything it's true because especially with insurances it does go off of a health rating uh things like that so like i gotta get to know the person see what's even applicable for them there's kind of a strategy for everybody um now that that is definitely very beneficial if it applies to the person I'd say. Um, just because of the the tax exempt mm -hmm. qualities and there's another thing in the financial industry that's dollar cost averaging mm -hmm. have you heard of that yes okay. so the idea of you know you're putting money every month and time in the market wins mm -hmm. timing the market correct but the problem with that is that you know you have access to a 401k when you're doing that that's normally how people are dollar cost averaging mm -hmm. And the best time to dollar cost average would be when? 2008, yeah. you know, COVID. Mm -hmm. But what's the reality of those times periods? A lot of people don't have jobs. That's They're not true. dollar cost averaging in the best time to be doing that theory. Mm. So that's why I say we want to be putting our money in multiple places, at least something that doesn't go down. So Actually, whenever... Because I've, I've heard the term, the dollar cost average, but I... I don't fully, fully grasp it. So you said they'll put their money, um, elaborate a little bit more. So, you know, like how we said earlier, the stock market does this, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea is instead of trying to time the market when it's low and high, you just buy all the time. Mm. So in the long run, you make it on top because you've, you're buying when it's low, you're also buying when it's high, but oh. you're always taking advantage of those opportunities because you're just always buying. Gotcha. So over the course of 30 years, you'll make out a lot better if you like, for example, if you just put a hundred thousand dollars in day one and just sense. let it ride, or if you take that hundred thousand and then you buy it in tidbits over the course of thirty years, mathematically, that's that's really the the ideology behind it. Gotcha. So, so you're, you're you're allowing for compound to work more in your favor. Is that what that is? It's um, it's more that you're going to take advantage when the market is down because you're just always buying. So whenever something like 08 happens. Mm. You'd be putting in, you'd be buying the shares on the fire sale per se. Gotcha. The only problem with that theory is that 
most people dollar cost average with their 401k and brokerage account. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the time when people are hurting, when gas is expensive, eggs are $10 a dozen. Right. You're not going to be like, the first thing to go is probably that contribution there because you need to pay rent. Correct. But then now you're kind of dollar cost averaging your way out of the profits mm. because you're not buying whenever it's the, the best time. If people should um, say, I want to know my next move uh, financially and they seem to, they're doing the regular stuff. They have the insurance. You know, they might be investing in stocks, having dividends, investing in real estate, you know, the insurance, all that type of stuff. And they seem to have most of their bases covered. Mm -hmm. Are there any additional things that you would recommend to somebody like that, that figure that they have most of the fundamentals covered? I would say then it's more of an efficiency mm -hmm. outlook. Just making sure you're doing it in the most efficient way from the real estate to your stocks to things like that. Um, I'm a big fan of anything with long-term capital gains. Okay. And the reason for that is there's really a compounding effect. So when you put your money in tax-free or tax-exempt assets, um, when you take that money out, you don't realize any income to the IRS. Correct. So long-term capital gains has its own tax brackets. Zero percent, fifteen percent, and twenty percent. Mm -hmm. And the way the government puts you in those brackets is they actually look at your income. Mm. So by not realizing any income from your investment sources, such as Roth or insurance, uh, things, um, even some bond like municipal bonds have that too. Mm -hmm. And then now you're not realizing income. So that same real estate, that same brokerage account that you have is now in the 0% long-term capital gains bracket. Mm -hmm. Now, given their standard deductions, there are still some taxes involved, but the point is you're closer to zero and you're not paying 20. Gotcha. So just by, that's really the efficiency, that's the efficiency, that's the efficiency of standpoint. It, where it's like you got everything most more or less sorted out, but you're fine-tuning. Yeah. So little areas where you can make more or not give up as much. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about some of these folks who do like overseas banking? What's, what's your um, thoughts on that? I'm not actually that familiar with overseas banking mm. and things like that. Okay. Um, whenever, whenever you get an opportunity, mm -hmm. right, with individual who, you know, aren't fully aware that say, for example, you see all the green light that they need to get this life insurance or whatever policy, because whatever they may have told you, um, and you're saying, hey, this is the way to go, and for whatever reason you can't, you cannot get it through to them. How do you, because you're just trying to help, mm -hmm. right? How do you coax that individual to say, hey, man, this is really gonna help you? How do you usually try to get them over the hump? Uh, I mean, it really comes down to education. Mm. Uh, when you lay it all out to people in the right way, some like eventually it's going to click with them. Mm. So, I mean, I'm big on education with my clients. I'm not just going to say, hey, you should do this and just trust me. I'll, sh I'm, I'll run the numbers and show you mm. why this is a good idea, um, especially from like the insurance's standpoint. There's a lot of different ways you can 
kind of make that apparent um, just from like a a like protect yourself scenario on how cheap it really is okay uh, relative to like normally like your salary or things of that nature so a, say for example a small business owner like myself and um, I'm looking to getting to the installation side of business so uh, my guys by law has to be has mm-hmm. to be insured right mm-hmm. but that's just work workman comp mm-hmm. you know workers comp so I want to build a business long term with longevity mm-hmm. right and I would like to offer additional benefits mm-hmm. to them um, either in the form of you know, additional insurance or some type of 401k plan. Do you have any case study where it's not a big company, but they choose to go that route to kind of create some type of security for the employees? Mm-hmm. Do you have any case study or any? Um, not necessarily a case study, but I have worked with business owners that mm-hmm. do that. Um, I mean, I'm always a big proponent of Roth. So mm-hmm. if the business owner can offer that to their employees, that's really big. Can they ma- uh, can Roth be a match or no? Yes. So the really the 401k uh, little history mm-hmm. history side note was uh, created in 1978 okay. from the the Revenue Act, or I call it the Tax Revenue Act, because mm-hmm. the what it really was is uh, corporations were offering pensions at the time. Mm. So now pensions were taxed. You know, corporations had to pay the tax on the pension. Correct. So they wanted a way, basically, to think, hey, how can we offer some sort of retirement, but it also be a tax deduction for us? So here comes the 401k. (laughs) So now the match in a 401k is a tax deduction for your employer. Mm. So the match from an employer will always be traditional. So the employer will not match a Roth. Because the whole point of it is that for them to get a tax break, to get a tax break. Uh, so, I mean, I've never, I've never seen it where an employer also matched Roth. Yeah. But no, normally, how it works is if there's a five percent match, they put in the five percent Roth 401k, and then the employer puts five percent in a traditional 401k. In the work that you do, do they allow you to become a fiduciary as well, or you are um, just a fiduciary where? Um, if you help somebody, it has to be in their best in interest. Their best interest that's, that's, I like that you brought that word up because I feel like it's, um, that's something they love to throw around because mm. they say, oh, well, as your fiduciary, um, I have to do what's in your best interest. But you can really skew that a lot of different ways. Interesting. It's like, I feel like that's a fancy term people throw out to you know, push whatever they want to push because it's like, well, I'm your fiduciary. I have to do what's best for you. But isn't that like an actual thing, though? It is an actual thing, yeah. It And you're right that as your fiduciary, I have to do what's in your best interest. Mm-hmm. But now, I mean, a lot of people have differentiating views on financial planning and what's most efficient and things like that. So the word kind of becomes arbitrary, in my opinion. kind of... Because it's, it's so prevalent and everywhere and everyone says it that um, what's your it's like it's like i'm your what's your best financial hack financial hack (laughs) yeah uh i mean really just looking at things from a tax perspective if Uh, we can minimize the the tax a lot yeah (laughs) i mean i am i did study accounting you know that's that's really the name of the game like you can make a a lot of 
Like if you make a lot of money, but if there's a 30% tax bill on your million bucks, yeah. now what's better, 800,000 no taxes or a million bucks that's got to stop at the IRS? Yeah. And a lot of people, they're like, well, I want the million, the balance is bigger. And that's kind of the bait. We want to look at it that we got to incorporate, okay, how does the volatility affect your money? Mm-hmm. How do taxes affect your money? And how do the fees associated with whatever account that is, whether that's real estate and you know title companies, stuff like that, or fees associated with a brokerage account, how does that impact your wealth? Gotcha. And are there different ways where uh, like business owner can try to structure their business itself that would? For sure, that's a definitely those, a really big, really big thing. So there's LLC, uh, S corp, and C corp. Mm-hmm. And uh, so S-Corp and LLC, they're passed through. So they're taxed at income tax. So what that means is uh, the top marginal tax bracket right now is 37%. Okay, yep. So when your business starts earning- How much you got to make a year for you to be in that- Top bracket, bracket, I want to say it's 500,000, but I'd actually have to look at my my tax tables again (laughs) (laughs) to get you the exact number. the the point is that their tax brackets are marginal right so it's every dollar above that threshold that is now taxed at the the 37 percent does that make sense yes 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 so whenever you earn five million dollars in your business your effective tax rate will be a lot closer to that 37 because a lot of those dollars are being taxed at 37 percent does that make sense yes Mm -hmm. now a c-corp is the corporate Mm-hmm. And that's just a flat 21%. Mm-hmm. So where the uh, business structuring really comes into play is if you're earning $5 million a year, there's a point where income-wise your effective tax rate becomes over 21%. Meaning on that $5 million, because you're, a lot of them are in the 37, let's just say your effective tax rate is 29. Mm-hmm. Meaning every dollar that you're earning is taxed at 29%. Because you can basically calculate that out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So once that effective tax rate is above 21%, now it makes sense to do a C-Corp. Because now you're saving money on taxes. Because mm-hmm. you're 21% flat. There's no margin. There's no... Uh, uh, because the income has gotten to a certain mm-hmm. level where... Well, that just makes sense. If yeah. you know, if you actually know, though... I would imagine most people who are starting to get into that type of A lot income. of people don't, yeah. Really? Because, I mean, business owners are really good at their business. They're not necessarily accountants uh, or CPAs or lawyers or anything like that. So they're basically blowing cash just so because of a lack just of because information. They're, yeah, because of the lack of information. Um, I mean, corporate structuring is a really, really big thing, for sure. And there's lots of other topics that I'd like to touch on, man, because uh, another is, is trust a way where people can avoid taxes, too? I don't um, know what I'm asking. Do you that, know? That's kind of a misconception. The You, you don't avoid taxes from, from... There's not really a way to avoid taxes. That's a, the, the IRS is always going to come after you. Right. They want their cut, for sure. Gotcha. That's really where... Um, so you don't deal inside trust. The, the, that's a lawyer. That's a Lawyers lawyer. do gotcha, trust. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, but what, really, that's where the insurances come into play, too. Mm-hmm. Is uh, So insurance proceeds are tax-free. And normally, why you're doing a trust is that you, know, you want something to go to somebody. Mm-hmm. And so there's an estate tax, things like that. And you'll take out an insurance policy, basically that covers that tax bill. That's yeah. what people like Rockefellers and that like are doing. The Disney guy so, isn't 
Like really, the the people, anyone that you know of that's done generational wealth, if you've heard of that, yeah, that's how they build it. So when you pass away, your assets, when they are passed on to your kids, the it takes a pit stop at the IRS. They want their tax bill. So that insurance policy, basically what you're doing is you're paying that tax bill with the insurance policy. So that way, all of your you know, houses or business or whatever actually goes to oh, your, so no, the people the you want it to. So come off your uh, actual assets. Yeah. So, you know, estate sales, Yeah, yeah. Estate, that's yeah. the reason why estate they happen exists. is because they have $50 million in the estate. And then now there's a 40% tax bill on that estate. And that wasn't accounted for. And then the people that it's going to, well, they don't have that money. So now it's being sold that's off. intense. It could cut your wealth in half. Mm-hmm. I wonder why they say uh, sometimes the wealth doesn't translate from one generation to the next because of. Uh, people making mistakes like those that's where the that's why i say the defensive planning that part of it is really a really key proponent it's it's more than just making money with your money you want to make sure you're covered on all All sides man yeah you you touched on a lot of interesting topics on today man and we could go into a lot more stuff man but (laughs) i I appreciate you coming out. You know, it was cool meeting you at that, uh, at that event. Um, yeah. And when is our next one coming up? Uh, second Tuesday of every month. Second Tuesday. So I'll definitely be there. It's a group. It's a great yeah. group of folks, you mm-hmm. know, just to be around like-minded business owners. Uh, it's helping me, you know, up my game. So it was it was great meeting you, man. Yeah. Happy that you were able to come out and, and do the podcast. Oh, and, uh, one thank love, you so man. much for having You're me. You're very welcome, man. One love. Take it easy. All right, cool. Thank you. Good vibes, man. So, guys, I really create these content to educate, inform, and inspire whoever is at a point to be inspired. If you made it this far through the videos, I would truly appreciate if you give us a like, a subscribe, turn on the notification bell, support us because in in all honesty, it means a lot to us. Um, So thank you. And I hope you got something of value from, from sharing your time with us on today.